Good. Hey, if you guys are thankful for our worship team, come on. We are blessed with some incredible worship around here. It's good to worship with you guys this morning. Love hearing you guys sing to God. A lot of you cannot sing at all, but the words say is make a joyful noise. Praise Jesus for that. Oh, it's always good to worship with you guys. Hey, uh, we've been taking a little bit of a break from the year of the Bible, and uh, we've been doing the big screen series. How many of you guys enjoy the big screen series this year? It's pretty good. I thought they did a good job with that. And, uh, but at the beginning of the year, for those of you that might be new around here, we seek the Lord, and we're just we're, we're trying to figure out, God, what, what's kind of your theme that you want for us as a church for the year? And, and so as we got with, with God and, and just asked him, we felt impressed upon our hearts. We just wanted to be in the Word a lot more as a church, church family, wanted to be in the Word. We're always in the Word, but it was more specific to we need our people outside of Sunday services to be in the Word on a more consistent and daily basis. And so we said, look, the theme for the whole year is going to be the year of the Bible. And we started the, the one-year Bible reading plan. And uh, we're doing that through version, or you can do it on our NLC app. Uh, we have bookmarks that are around the sanctuary that you can uh, take those and use them as a reading guide for each month. We've got August sitting out on the chairs for this month, but uh, we just wanted to be in the Word together. Now, I know some of you, it's been summertime, so some of you have been out on vacation. Maybe you got a little bit behind on your reading plan, or you may, maybe you just forgot about it all together. It's okay. Let's jump back in this thing, okay? It's important that we're in the Word together. And, and here's the deal. If you ever get bored with it, then listen to it. It will read it to you. If you get bored with that, have it read it to you in a different language. Maybe find a nice Irish accent or something like that. But let's stay in the Word. Let's stay committed to this thing. And here's the reason why. Because as we're finishing out the summer, a lot of times in the summer we can drift a little bit. You know, just schedule's different, all that. But let's finish... The summer, strong. Amen. Uh, the fall is coming. How many of you guys ready for school to start? Praise God. Hallelujah. Every person with kids is just like, I love my kids. I just love them more in school, I think, a little bit more. Don't judge me for that. But, but uh, it's been a good summer. But uh, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading in our plan this next week in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible apps, I'm going to be looking at it in the New Living Translation uh, but let's read this together, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. It says, All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. Now, this is talking about the Israelites after God had set them free from captivity out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and they're wandering around. It says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, so there you go. Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. From the very beginning, Jesus is mentioned and it says, yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things that, as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scripture says, the people celebrated with fasting and drinking, or not fasting, <laughs> feasting. Should have been fasting. Uh, celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And... We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. That's not a good day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. 
Okay, that's us. That's me and you living at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. All right, so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what is the way out that God has given us. Because as you read through these examples that the Israelites were struggling with, okay, the sexual immorality, the grumbling, the attitudes, the complaining, the, the, the testing God, all those things, okay, those are very prevalent and relevant to where we're at right now in our day and age and in our culture. And it says that as those things were happening, I mean, God's judgment was being brought against the Israelites like crazy. And he said, look, I'm just going to let you know this is a warning not to fall into those things, not to fall into those temptations, not to fall into those lifestyles. Us who live at the end of the age, that's us, okay? Now, here's the deal. I don't blame everything on the devil, and you shouldn't either. The devil's not causing everything in your life. There's not a demon under every rock, okay? Just because you drove up to Walmart, asked Jesus to give you a parking spot, and he didn't, don't blame it on the devil that you didn't get your parking spot, okay? But we, we have to take personal responsibility. When you make a decision in your life, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a reaction that happens to the decisions that we make in our life. And we have to own those things. And that's really important because we're living in a culture where there's not a lot of personal responsibility. It's way too easy to blame everybody else and everything else for everything bad that is happening. When... Uh, my son Corbin was a little bit younger. He was hilarious because if he'd get in trouble or do something he wasn't supposed to do and we'd be disciplining, correcting him, coaching him, he would always just like clench his fist and clench his jaw. I don't know where he got this stubbornness from. I think it was from his mom. But yeah, and then, and then as soon as, and then he was just sitting there so fresh, he didn't know what to say. And so he would say this almost every time. I just, I, you, you are just making me so naughty right now. And that's what he was saying. I'm like, well, nobody can make you do anything. You choose. You choose. Okay, so that's really important. We also have to understand the spiritual reality that we live in. And the spiritual reality that we live in is that we have an enemy. And his name is Satan. And he comes to kill, steal, and destroy we have to be aware that even though he doesn't cause everything bad to happen, he will use anything and everything he can in your life to cause destruction, to keep you ineffective, to keep you wounded, to keep you on the sidelines. And so we have to know how to respond to him. Back in 1989, I barely remember watching this on the news. December of 1989, a significant event happened. U.S. forces invaded Panama. And there was a war. But you couldn't really even call it a war because it was over in just a few days. Because the U.S. forces went in and kicked tail. There was a drug lord. They, they, they arrested him. But even though they had won that war in just a few days, there was still resistance after that. For years after that, there was fighting that would happen in pockets as the people that were a part of this regime were still trying to hold on to some amount of control. The thing is, the war was won, but there was still some fighting that had to be done. There was still some resistance that had to be done. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus defeated 
sin and death and hell and the grave. Jesus won the war. He kicked the enemy's tail. The enemy is a whipped little enemy. He kicked his tail. We don't fight for victory as believers. We fight from a place of victory. And there's a big difference there. But even in that, there is still a fight. But here's the fight. Really the fight is, the fight is that there's people that don't understand that the war has been won for their life. They don't understand that. And they're lost. And so what the enemy's trying to do is to keep them in the dark and keep us ineffective as believers to be able to communicate them the truth of the fact that the war has been won over their sin. And so the enemy's going around. He's constantly trying to disrupt and keep us and keep others in a place where we're not walking in freedom. So today, I want to talk about these prisoners, these prisoners of war. Because even though the war's been won, there's still prisoners out there. And the enemy is still trying to do things. How do we know? Because we see people fall away from God. We see people that are bound up in their past and in their wounds and in their sin. Paul goes on in chapter 10 to talk about what this is. It's a word I'm going to refer to today. It's the word stronghold. Stronghold. That's what it means when you get to a place where you're not really walking in freedom. You're not walking in a place of truth according to the word of God. A stronghold. A stronghold is literally this, this mindset, this style of life that is a cycle that you get stuck in and then you believe that you can't change. It's doing these things that are contrary to the will of God and then believing that there's no way that you can change it. It is literally the enemy has a hold in some area of your life. The enemy is always going to try to worm his way in. And so he's looking for cracks. He's looking for some way that he can get in there and cause an issue. If you've ever been rock climbing before, when you rock, climb up the rock, anywhere you can grab a hold, it's called a hold. There's, there's hand holds, there's finger holds. But if you can get a strong hold, that means you got like your whole hand in somewhere. You can stay there for a really long time and not have to move on from that point because you have a strong hold. And that's what the enemy will try to do in our lives. So today, I want to talk through what some of those strongholds are, just to reveal them, and then we'll talk about how to deal with them. They really could fall into basically five different categories, okay? One of them is addiction. One of them is addiction. Okay, now this is a major issue in Arkansas. There's so many incredible things about the state of Arkansas, but one of our dirty little secrets is, is there is a heartbreaking number of kids that are in foster services because their parents are addicted They're addicted to drugs or alcohol, whether it's prescription pills or methamphetamines or whatever it is, and it's heartbreaking. As a pastor, I I have to see this all the time. In fact, there's times I'll be reading through prayer requests, and it's heartbreaking. The percentage of those prayer requests have to do with people that know someone or they themselves have a major issue with substance abuse, with being addicted And they're just trapped in this. And an addiction is basically where you have this physical craving that controls you. You don't feel like you can move beyond this thing. One way that I've heard it described before is it's like you're in a boat. 
And this boat is set on autopilot towards this destination, but it is not a destination that you want to go towards. But you are set on this course, in this direction. And what addiction is like is it's like that's the course. The addiction is the course. And so every once in a while, you'll try to grab that wheel, and you'll just try to force it. You'll try to turn it just through willpower, just through trying to just be strong to try to take it away from that course. But over time, you either put, let down your guard or you just get weak and you let go of the wheel and it goes right back into that course again. And that's what addiction is like in some people's life. And it can be a major stronghold. Another stronghold is relationships. For some people, it's not the something, it's the someone that winds up becoming the stronghold. And there's a lot of different ways that this can happen. It could be a bad marriage. It could be a divorce or something that, that happened through that bad marriage. Uh, it, it, it could be a relationship with a parent. It could just be a codependency, a bond that you have with someone that is keeping you from being completely and totally dependent on God. And anytime one of those relationships happen, the enemy wants to use that as a stronghold to get you focused on that relationship instead of being focused on the ultimate relationship you're supposed to have with your Heavenly Father. These become strongholds in people's life. I've seen people called by God, gifted, anointed, to do incredible things. And before you know it, they're just gone, just missing in action. Nobody knows where they went. Come to find out, they just started dating the wrong person. They got off track. They got connected to a relationship that was not from God, and now it's a stronghold in their life. Another stronghold can be your past. Your past. Now, this is one that the enemy loves to play on. He loves to play on this one. Because everybody's got something in their history that the enemy would love to keep them focused on so that they can't move into their destiny. So they can't move into their future. So the enemy's constantly trying to leverage your past and keep you focused on that. As long as you're living in the past and focused on the past, you cannot move forward. Every person comes to God with some level of baggage. Now some of you, bless your heart, when you got saved, you only had to repent of like two sins. And your baggage was like a little tiny purse that belonged to a baby doll. But some of us have a 30-foot U-Haul truck pulling a trailer. And that's the baggage. But here's the thing. The enemy doesn't care how much or how little baggage you have. He's just trying to leverage your baggage to keep you from moving forward. He's just trying to keep you focused on your past, the sin, the mistake, the failed whatever. He wants to use those things, and if you focus on that, it can become a stronghold. Another is just private strongholds. Basically, these are the secrets. Strongholds are just basically secrets that haven't matured yet. Every person that has a secret in their life, that secret will turn into a stronghold. It's just a matter of time. Eventually, the secret sins in your life, the things that you don't want to talk to anybody about, you can't confess to anybody, those things will become strongholds in your life. And these are things like pornography, eating disorders. There's a lot of different secret sins that are out there. And then you get to the place where you're not telling anybody. And before you know it, it's a stronghold. And secrets, secrets are Satan's playground. 
He loves secrets. But here's the thing. The moment you confess it, it destroys the enemy's plan to use it as a stronghold in your life. The moment you can tell somebody that this is happening, that this is going on in your life, and you proactively pursue freedom from it, that is the moment that that stronghold loses its leverage. And this is why we will emphasize until we are blue in the face and we will not apologize about it. We are a life group church. Every person that calls New Life Church their home church needs to be in a life group. There is no exception. And the reason why is because you need people that you can get in and build relationship with so you can build trust, so you can know that they love you, so you can know that you can trust them with your secret. You've got to find somebody that you can tell the deepest, darkest secrets in your life, demolish the enemy's plan to use that as a stronghold. Because God didn't intend for us to try to do this on our own. But those private struggles can become strongholds. Another one is attitudes. Attitudes. Attitudes can be major strongholds. This is a big stronghold right now in our nation. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever been hunting for coyotes? Anybody ever been hunting for coyotes in this room? Okay. Like two. Okay. First service had like 80 people. I was a little bit... Concern. I was like, is this like a club? You guys all decided what service you're going to come to. But one of, the, one of the methods for hunting coyotes is you go out at night and you bring a spotlight. And then you use um, what's called a predator call. And, and essentially what a predator call is, it is whatever game that they would normally hunt, it's that game making noise. Okay? So... One of the predator calls that you can use, I don't know what sadistic person made this, but essentially what they did is they wounded a rabbit and then recorded the noises of this rabbit that is wounded. Now, rabbits are these just fuzzy, cute, little, just adorable things. But if you have ever heard a rabbit in distress, it will invoke something in you towards that living creature that you did not know existed. You will want to kill. It will happen. You, it, just, it, is the, it is the most annoying noise you have ever heard in your life. It reminds me a little of this lady that was in one of the churches that I grew up in who had, thought she had a gift for all the song specials. I don't know if you remember those growing up. And she was bad. Or like that one scene in Dumb and Dumber. You know the scene where they're driving down the road. And he says, you want to hear the most annoying noise on the planet? He listened to a predator call to get that noise because that is it. that's very close to what it's, it's horrible. So here's the thing. You play this through speakers. You play this for a little bit. Within five minutes, turn on that spotlight. You look out. There will be eyeballs in the dark coming at you. A little freaky. And this is exactly what the enemy does with your bad attitude. The Israelites... An entire generation of Israelites died in the wilderness primarily because they were complaining. Because they had a bad attitude. And their bad attitude drew every natural and supernatural prey to them. And this is what will happen in your life too. And in my life with our bad attitudes. So it's things like bitterness. Just bitterness, just talking about this thing, how this person, they just come on, on, on. The enemy loves that. 
The enemy's going to be drawn to that. Nagging. It's very close to what it sounds like. Proverbs talks about what nagging is like. If your spouse nags, the word says it's better to live in your attic on an August day in the corner than to live with a nagging spouse. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what it's saying. Like, it's horrible to be around a nagging person. Another one? Just negativity. Just always just the negative thing to say. Some of, some of us, look, some of us, Jesus could walk in the room right now. And you'd be like, oh, it's Jesus. Why is he barefooted? I thought Jesus wore sandals. I don't think that's really appropriate. That's kind of gross walking around barefooted. Like you'd find something negative about the Messiah. And the enemy is drawn to that negative talk. Gossip. Whoo. The enemy will flock to gossip. Here's one maybe you don't think of that often. How about grief? Now, I want to be careful with this because I know that we've had people in our church that have lost loved ones. And there is a time and there is a season where you mourn and you grieve. But this is what I know for sure. That if you're a Christ follower, no amount of grief should ever steal your peace and your joy. Ever. But I have seen grief take people captive. It's a stronghold. There's been times when someone would come up and say, I need you to pray with me, Pastor. I lost my husband. Oh, my goodness. Well, what happened? Well, 15 years ago, you've been carrying this for 15 years? That is not God's plan. You can mourn and you can grieve. But because of Jesus, because of his grace, you can do it with full joy and peace. Grief does not have to become a stronghold in your life. It keeps you from moving forward. So much of it is just negative talk. She's constantly talking about what's wrong and what's not good. But this is what the word says about positive. Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the taste and good for your health. A few years ago, the Miss American pageant, the winner was from Oklahoma. There's been five contestants from Oklahoma that won. I tried to track this down, could not find this contestant's name. But after she had won the crown, Miss America, she was being interviewed. And the interviewer asked her, well, did you ever think that you would ever be crowned Miss America of the United States? And her response was, yeah, I pretty much my whole life I believed I was going to be crowned. Oh, that's not the most humble thing ever. But <laughs> she went on to explain. Let me explain. I, when I was growing up as a little girl, my parents owned a little gas station, kind of a mom-pop place, and, and they had to have milk delivered every day. And so when the delivery man would show up to deliver the milk, I was always so excited to see him because he said the same thing every day 
as he was walking up to deliver the milk, at one point or another, he just reached down quickly, pat me on the head and say, how's my little Miss America today? How's my little Miss America today? And day after day, year after year, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years, until eventually she, she believed, like, I, I think I'm going to be Miss America someday. And that's why every day I pat my daughter London on the head and I say, how's my little millionaire today? How do you do? Daddy's going to retire. Daddy needs a truck, a lake house. Praise God. Recently, I believe that any of my kids could be president. I mean, really, it's not even a long shot. I think any of them... Any of them could do it. Oh. Sorry, I'm not supposed to be political. But it is true. Strongholds don't just destroy your life, the people around you. It can destroy your legacy. It can destroy not just your kids' lives, but their kids and their kids. There's this article about these two men that were born in New York City around the same time in the early 1800s. And what they did is they basically traced their descendants to see where these people wound up. So, so one of these men did not believe in God, just believed, you know, free sex, just whatever, very postmodernistic, whatever works for you, works for you, whatever works for me, works for me. Just sinful, just a heathen. Just totally lived away from God. The other man... Lived a disciplined lifestyle. He loved the Lord. He actually wrote some books. He was a pastor. And so they traced their descendants, and here is the outcome. The first one that just believed in free living, doing whatever he wanted to do, had 1,026 descendants, of whom 300 were convicted, were convicts, 190 were prostitutes, 27 were murderers, 590 became addicted to alcohol or drugs. And up to the 1950s, this man's descendants had cost the state of New York $1.2 million because of all of the stuff that they had done. Second man had 929 descendants, of whom 430 were ministers. 314 were war veterans. 75 were authors. 86 were college professors. 13 were college presidents. Seven were congressmen. Seven were governors, and one was vice president of the United States of America. That's the legacy of Jonathan Edwards. So you can see this major disparity between what it's like when you're controlled by a stronghold and how it doesn't just affect you, but it affects generations. So how do you break a stronghold? Well, the answers are found in a lot of places, but I want to go to James chapter 4 because I think this makes it really concise for us. But he gives us more grace. I love how that starts. He gives us more grace. I don't know if I can do this. Well, he's got more grace. I don't know if I can make it through this. Well, he's got more grace. He's never going to run out. He's got more. He's always got more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This is where you've got to start. You want to break a stronghold, you're going to have to humble yourself. 
You're going to have to tell somebody. You're going to have to be teachable. You're going to have to be willing to admit that you've got something that is jacked up in your life that shouldn't be there. You've got to be willing to admit this. If you will be humble, though, and then submit yourselves to God, submit yourselves to God. You've got to give God control. Submit yourselves to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you'll come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let me give you two quick things that I think it takes to defeat strongholds. First thing is this. You've got to commit fully to God. You've got to commit fully to God. A lot of people treat God like Tony C's seasoning. Like, ah, what's the flavor of God for the week? Oh, a little too much seasoning this Sunday. I didn't really like that. Oh, not enough this Sunday. I needed a little bit more this Sunday. But he's a God of convenience. But not the Lord of your life. If you want to break strongholds, you want to walk in freedom, you can't be lukewarm in your approach. You have to set a priority. And the priority of your life is very easy to see. It's based on where you spend your time and energy. You have to be totally committed to God. You cannot hold back. You have to be 100% committed. It's like a, a trapeze. If you ever go to a circus, these guys are flying through the air. Look, this is not something you can be timid about. It's not like, oh, I might let go. I might not let go. I might trust them to catch me. I might not. No, you just go. You're fully committed. You go all out. At one point or another, you've got to stop trusting that the next drug, the next drink, the next relationship, the next plan, the next idea is going to be the thing that catches you. You've got to be fully committed to the fact that God is the only one that is going to catch you every single time. But you have to be committed to him 100%. You have to come to a place where you are all in, chips on the table. I'm not going to keep doing this where I'm kind of in and out. And When it feels good, I'll be there. But when I don't really feel like it, I'm not going to. When the Razorbacks are winning, I don't need Jesus, but when they're losing, I need to go to church because we need God. But you get to a place where you just say, doesn't matter if it's sunny outside or rainy outside, I'm going to be fully committed to God. Submitted to Him. He's my Lord. Fully committed to Him. This is what it looks like. Paul teaches this in Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Another translation says daily work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So here's the process. God will begin to work something in you. Have you ever been to a service where you're just like, man, that song, that point, that message, that whatever, man, that that just spoke, that was for me. That spoke to me. That is God beginning to work something in you. But the reason why God works something in you is so that by your by his spirit you can work something out of you. God is working something in you to identify something that needs to be worked out of you. And if you don't get to the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling, you will find yourself in a place of stronghold even when you're hearing great sermons and great worship. 
God's trying to work something in you, it's because he's trying to identify something that you've got to work out of you. And I wish that there was a plan or a DVD series or a self-help book that would just answer all this. But at the end of the day, it's you and the Holy Spirit. And it's you being fully committed to him. It's you just making the decision, this is what I'm going to do with everything I have. Number two, you got to resist the devil. you got to resist the devil. So often we are so consumed with the natural that we approach everything in our life with natural responses. So the next time something bad happens in your life, the first thing you're asking is, who should I text or what should I post or how can I get what is fair or how am I going to get justice? And you go to every natural thing in your response. But let me ask you a question. When's the last time you resisted the devil for what he's trying to do in your life? And you need to hear this. This is so important. I cannot resist the devil for you. You have to resist him. You can't rent somebody else to resist the devil for you. You're going to have to resist him yourself. But if you are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, then you have been equipped with everything you need to resist and to keep on resisting, no matter what. But you've got to resist. The good news is this. Satan has already been whipped so he can't stand up against resistance very well at all. But you have to resist. A few days ago, I gave my son Reeves some really bad advice, which is common in our household. Uh, I give the bad advice. Cody usually gives the good advice. It's just the way we work. It's a team thing. But I, I gave him this advice because he came to me and he was griping and complaining about his brother and what his brother was doing to him. I cannot stand whining, okay? Cannot stand it. We call it whinies in my house. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't speak whinies. You're going to have to get a translator somewhere else because I don't speak what you're speaking right now. Ah. So he came to me whining and complaining. Okay, Corbin's picking on me. Corbin's picking me. Corbin this and Corbin's that. So Corbin's standing right next to him. Reeves is standing there. I said, all right, Reeves, this is what I want you to do. The next time your brother starts picking on you, the next time he starts bothering you and antagonizing you, I want you to take your hand, make it into a fist, and punch him in the face as hard as you can. Dobson probably wouldn't tell him to do that, okay? And I know that it was probably wrong. But you should have seen Corbin's face. I can't believe you just told him to punch me in the face. He just took his toy and went to his room. He left his brother alone, though. So here's the point. The point is, there will come a time in your life when you've got to stop letting your feelings and your emotions dictate things and you need to grab a hold of the word of God in your fist and punch the devil in the face because he's already been defeated. You just need to remind him. And you've got to hit him and hit him hard. And you resist and you resist and you resist. And there will be times in your life when a situation or circumstance will come and you're going to need the Bible playing in one room. You're going to need worship playing in another room. And you're going to need some prayer warriors with you in another room resisting the enemy out of your life. Because if you will resist, if you have submitted your life to God and you resist him, he'll flee. But here's the thing. 
You have to be submitted. You do not have authority over the enemy apart from relationship through Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't you that beat the enemy. It was Jesus that beat the enemy. He has the authority. It's you through him that you resist the enemy. He can't just be your savior. He's got to be your Lord. He has to have control. If he doesn't have control, you're going to get your tail kicked every single day by the enemy. You've got to submit to him. If you will, though, submit, humble yourself, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. I was reminded of of David and Goliath. You know, when David, Goliath was just this big bully, just mocking God's people just daring someone to come and defy him. And David was just the youngest of his brothers. At this point, just a runt, just a little kid, and just a shepherd boy. He was fed up, though. So at one point, he, he, he decided he's going to confront Goliath, and he says this, he came at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I'm going to give the dead bodies of all of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And that's the way you talk to the enemy when he comes at you. Next time the enemy comes at you with fear, insecurity, a failure from your past, a failed marriage, a failed relationship, the next time the enemy comes at you with that, you come against him with the name of Jesus Christ. Because he has the victory over every lie that the enemy would ever try to feed you. But it starts with him being your Lord. So I want to give that chance today, just like we do every Sunday. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to God, You've never given him complete control. Maybe you did at one point, but lately you've been getting your, you've been getting beat up by the enemy because you just haven't. God has not been in control. He's not been the Lord of your life. And maybe today you just need to rededicate your life. You need to come back to Jesus. If you're in either one of those places right now, raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with all over this room. I need to just get right with Jesus today. As soon as I see your hand, you put it down. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus. This is just you. This is you confess. This is a this is a great first step in making sure that you can walk in freedom. Okay? Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need to surrender. I want to be committed. Okay. Got several hands. I don't know, maybe ten or so. For every person, just raise their hand right there in your seat. At one point or another, you have to go public with your decision to follow Jesus. The word says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And I would encourage you to find somebody as soon as the service is over and let them know about the decision that you just made. But a great way to go public with following Jesus is through water baptism. But right there in your seat, just have a a simple conversation with God. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I I ask that you would give me a new life. Change me from the inside out. 
right now I ask that you would be my Lord. I want you to have control. I don't want to live according to my own will or the way the world wants me to live. I want to live according to what you want from me. That's what I want. Change me. Lead me by your spirit. Help me to understand more of your, your plan and purpose through your word. Help me to be connected to the body of Christ so I can walk in freedom and victory. In Jesus' name. Lord, for all of us, God, I just pray that we would stand against the plan of the enemy. I pray that every person in here would walk in freedom. And this is what I'd encourage you to do. If you know that you're dealing with a stronghold, it could be an attitude, or it could be an addiction, maybe a relationship that is just, it's, a, it's an anchor to you, it's keeping you from God. Whatever it is, I want to give you a first step, and I want to pray for you, but I also think it's important if you really want to find freedom, you need to tell somebody. You need to confess this thing. Have them agree in prayer with you that this thing is broken. But if you're here today and you just want to take a first step, this is not going to fix it all, but I think this is a great first step of faith. If you're here today and you know you struggle with an addiction in your life, you struggle with a stronghold, however it's manifesting itself, whatever it is, Let's just raise your hand right now. Nobody looking around. If that's you, let's just be honest. Come on. Let's be honest. Keep those hands up. Father God, I just pray over every one of these people, every hand that's lifted, I thank you that the work that you are beginning in them now, you are faithful to bring it to completion. God, whatever it is, whatever the stronghold is, in the name of Jesus as their pastor, I just declare that that lie, that secret, whatever it is, has been exposed in the light of Jesus Christ. I declare that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Though no matter where this came from, no matter how many generations back it came from, no matter how it happened, it's, I declare in the name of Jesus that it is broken. The stronghold is, is defeated in the name of Jesus Christ. That the blood that was shed on the cross covers this sin. It covers this issue. It covers this stronghold. And in Jesus' name, every single one of these people are going to walk in freedom beginning now, starting today. Day. They're not going to be held captive anymore by this thing, whatever it is. And I thank you, God, you're going to give them the strength and the courage to go and tell somebody what it is and then to walk through that and resist the enemy until he flees in Jesus' name. And I thank you for that freedom that you've given us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand in this house.